Why do you linger here when there is no hope? There is still hope. Tempted to think there's no hope for overcoming some of the challenges of modern life? Ask an elf. Or a hobbit. Tune in Tuesdays, 4 to 5 p.m. with Milo Lomsdown at your service and... Tani Tenuviel, the resident KUCI Middle Earth elf. For What Would Arwen Do? on KUCI Irvine, 88.9 FM and streaming live on KUCI.org. The views and opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. For more information on this or other KUCI programs, visit KUCI.org or KUCITalk.org. is the Academy Award-winning music of Howard Shore, composer for The Lord of the Rings. Welcome to What Would Arwen Do on KUCI Irvine. What is this program, you may ask? If a Middle-earth elf lived today in Orange County, what might her life look like? How would she celebrate and support the arts, music, her community, and the preservation of Earth, its beauty, resources, and creatures? In other words, what would Arwen do? Some ask, what would Jesus do? which is a very good question. But on this program, I ask, we ask, what would Arwen do? Who was Arwen? Arwen was an elf princess, the daughter of Elrond, a prince among elves and lord of Rivendell, a magical place of healing, lore, and wisdom. Hmm, perhaps not unlike the community here at University of California at Irvine. Arwen was also a beloved daughter of the universe, as are all the women of this fair celestial home called Earth, or in Elvish, Arda. I believe Arwen understood the principle of noblesse oblige. With great privilege comes responsibility. She embodied the archetype of a true princess of the light through her courage, wisdom, beauty, her sense of humor, and service to others. In Tolkien and the Lord of the Rings, A Guide to Middle-Earth, Colin Durias writes, In his invented mythology of Middle-Earth, Tolkien intended that his elves were an extended metaphor of a key aspect of human nature. This elven quality in human life was a central preoccupation of Tolkien's. Elves, dwarves, hobbits, and the like partially represent human beings. In Tolkien's mythology, elves represent what is high and noble in humans. In particular, they represent the arts in their highest form, work done in the image of God and his created world. I believe, we believe, this elven quality exists in every person and yearns for expression through the gifts of creativity, nobility, and service. So, having the incredible privilege of having a public affairs program on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, California, right here in the Middle Earth campus of UCI, and being friends with an elf in beautiful Orange County, when things arise that I want to think more deeply about, I like to ask my elf friend Tani Tenuviel the question, what would Arwen do? This is Milo Lomsdown at your service, and with me today, as always, is my elf friend Tani Tenuviel, the resident KUCI Middle Earth elf. Good afternoon, Tani. Suilate and Michael Vannin, my dear friend. Oh my gosh, it's such a beautiful day. Crisp day today. It has been absolutely amazing here in the Shire and in the Phallus. I must <laughs> the say. The Grey Havens, the far western shores of America where it is 
like paradise. This is Tuesday, November 30th, 2010, and what a beautiful day it is. And we'd like to say hello to many people. We'd like to say hello to the people listening live at 88.9 FM here in the Orange County area, the listeners on the Internet, and I know you're out there at KUCI.org. And for those of you who are listening after the fact, who, are, who cannot listen live but listen to us on your iPods or other MP3 players, we podcast at KUCITalk.org. And also, if you like iTunes, in the iTunes store, we are a free podcast. Just search for A-R-W-E-N, Arwen, and you'll find What Would Arwen Do? And here we are still uh, along on our uh, adventure of I'm moving into the holiday season. Last week, we celebrated Thanksgiving uh, here in America, and it was interesting because it didn't actually occur to me until after uh, the show that we um, had, that Scribbles had called in from Canada, my dear, dear friend, I was so excited, and to share the things that she's thankful for, when in fact, it, it actually is not Thanksgiving up in Canada, but it was wonderful that she called in to uh honor our Thanksgiving traditions here and share herself with us. And while I'm saying, I would like to say a very special hello and elvish greetings to um, the people who are listening in from Tolkien Online. I got to jump online just for a moment before when we first got here in the studio. And I'd like to do give a special uh, shout out and hello to uh, Ro, who I believe might be listening from Escondido. Vanna from up in Washington. Arwen might be listening from up in Washington. Rose Morningstar. She's my, she's a dear, dear hobbit, but I forget where she hails from. And then Scribbles up in Canada. So the internet is just a wonderful thing. And message boards are a wonderful thing too. Tolkien Online is one of my favorite places on this planet. And even though it's a virtual place, it is a very real place. It is a real me. place as long as real human beings are there. Absolutely. We should give the URL. I believe it's the OneRing.com. Yes. And not only is a wonderful message board in the sense of a community of people that stay connected with each other, and many of us have, have met each other, but it's also a place where people who are interested in the works of Tolkien, there's another a message, um, website, uh, Torn, the OneRing.net, which I think is wonderful. I think it's a little more um, having to do with movies and, and that sort of thing, whereas I believe that... I like it. Yes. Oh, and I like it too. I just... Feel I know for myself, I've felt such a sense of uh, community and belonging at uh, Tolkien Online. Right. So, and there's many forums having to do with, I mean, there are complete forums for people who love to study the languages, uh, book clubs that people want to read the books, and other books that are even related in fantasy, and writing role-play stories. It's just an absolutely delightful place of it, magic, lore, and wisdom. Just wonderful. <laughs> so, a very special hello to all of our friends. And I would like to say hello to my friends, Martin from Toronto, who listens via podcast usually after the fact, as he's on airplanes much, doing his flying back and forth for his job. I'd like to say hello to Donna and Chuck, my friends, who also, I believe, usually are going to be on the podcast. And all of you on the podcast, you're yep. just as dear to us as those of us who are listening live. And it's just wonderful to have um, fellow friends and people who share your passions and that you can you can talk about these things with. Um, I would I'd like to say also just a special hello uh, in case Ron and uh, Jeanette are listening in or Moise listening from up in Lakewood. So we have... Lots of things, though, going on today, um, and this is a day where we will be celebrating things to do with trees, which was a favorite, favorite theme of J.R.R. Tolkien's. He was a great lover of trees, and we see so much of the stories of trees woven into his, his stories and his mythology. Yes, indeed. But we also have movie news. Oh my gosh, there's so much to discuss. <laughs> you know, as you were mentioning earlier, as we were going over some of these things earlier, I, and correct me if I'm mistaken, but at this point, I don't know that I've heard of a single female part that's been cast yet. Is this correct? That's been confirmed or cast? I'm thinking, and I do not recall. 
No, I do not recall. In particular, the big yeah. one, the big ones were waiting to be confirmed. We heard a very strong rumor this week because Ian McKellen on his personal website talked in some detail about the schedule for mm-hmm. the Hobbit movies filming. Mm-hmm. Even though there's no official announcement from New Line that he has been signed, he did put that on his website about the schedule of shooting, of, of photographing, oh. of, of uh, making the movie, what we call principal photography. Mm-hmm. And so there's a big hint that he's going to be involved. But we have no signed contract, as far as we know, with him or with Leave Allen, Leave Tyler. And uh, so, no, I don't know of any f- women that have yes. been actually signed. Of course, there are. there's a lot of extra casting. One of our right. pieces of movie news was about the casting problem that uh, was gotten into. I am uh, rather hoping, because even in Lord of the Rings, there weren't many strong you know, female roles. And although some of the purists didn't care for, you know, they said, oh, Arwen didn't go and rescue Frodo. It was Glorfindel. I absolutely loved the way Peter Jackson brought Arwen into the story. And if the story had gone like that, I think it would have gone exactly (laughs) as it went in the movies. Um, So it will be interesting to me because I think that Peter Jackson will find a way to bring some more of, you know, some some women into (laughs) into the films for those of us who, you know, like to see women part of adventures as well. Absolutely. I, I think that that would be Hobbit a really strong have. part. We know that the Hobbit extra cast, casting has involved both men and women, right? The casting calls went out. Um, but in any case, movie news. We have lots of movie news. Speaking of uh, extra casting, that is, extras are the people that don't have speaking parts that right. just appear on the film as townspeople or party goers or what have you but don't speak and uh, an interesting piece of news is the casting director one of the casting directors he is the one who is responsible for casting the extra hobbits that is mm. the hobbits that would not be saying anything but just seen on film he was fired he <laughs> was fired for placing newspaper ads seeking extras with light skin tones according to a spokesman spokesman for uh, the production company, no specifications regarding skin color were ever made, and the crew member took it upon himself to only audition actors with pale skin for Hobbit characters. Well, so. <laughs> you know, the thing that we played last week, uh, wasn't it last week, uh, the casting call, um, remember that person mentioned that as well, the height requirement and something, and... Light skin tone. I wonder if yes, that's the same. I I, is that the same one be. who was? The name I've searched didn't was not produced. But mm. uh, in any case, um, also on sort of the uh, interesting negative news is <laughs> Ron Perlman. We always have positive news, but sometimes mm. we have negative news. Ron Perlman, the great actor for Guillermo del Toro, who appeared in both Hellboy movies, uh, has positively said. Basically, ComingSoon.net has reported as an exclusive that he is not appearing in The Hobbit. Perlman said, quote, I'm not doing it. And adding with a laugh, he said, I think maybe that's a scoop for you. So that's an interesting piece of news. But on you the know, p- I didn't get to see Hellboy, although I, I had wanted to. I didn't realize that he was in it. He was also in the long time ago uh, TV series of uh, Beauty and the Beast, was he not? Yes, he was. Yeah, and he is, I loved that show. <laughs> he's a very effective actor. He has a very special look. But on to positive news, Sylvester McCoy is staying silent on the Hobbit role, and he's currently appearing in... Um, he's currently appearing in an Evelyn Waugh play called uh, Decline and Fall, based on that Evelyn Waugh novel. What's interesting is he talks in this wonderful interview at BBC. If, if you want the URL, it's uh, www.bbc.co.uk. It's the, the British Broadcasting Company. Mm-hmm. On The Hobbit, he says... Before McCoy flies to New Zealand for The Hobbit, he's doing a Scottish radio comedy. And he's talking about the original Bilbo, who we know was played by Ian Holm. Mm -hmm. And he's saying that how much can McCoy actually say? His role has not been officially announced. Mm -hmm. He played uh, Doctor Who on TV from 1987 to 89. And he says, quote, I can't say anything. 
I don't even know if I've said too much already. (laughs) I've already got my wrist gently tapped. I just want to tell the world about it. I know it's all bubbling away and plans are being made. McCoy, of course, is no stranger to Peter Jackson. He was down to the last two for the role of Bilbo Baggins in Lord of the Rings films. And he says the other actor got it. Who was that other actor? The brilliant Ian Holm. Yeah. My gosh, Ian Holm is such a great actor. Now, which is the role that he is um, being considered for? Well, the rumor is Radagast the Brown, one of the fellow wizards to Gandalf the Grey. So, interesting to remember that he was up for the role of Bilbo. Um, yes. And so he is Radagast the Brown. We have uh, Shane Bryant. There's a wonderful video clip at movieweb.com of Shane Bryant as the mayor of Michael Delving, which is a fairly minor right. role, but interesting. And he has an interesting little video clip there. Right. Um, and Martin Freeman talks about being fit for the, the role of Bilbo. He said um, in an interview for BBC News, Martin Freeman, who will be our Bilbo Baggins, said it's full steam ahead for me to look like Bilbo. And the techie news, this is for those of us that are techie news, It's there's a lot more to say about this and we have we can, lots of time to right. say, but <laughs> Peter Jackson has bought 30 RED Red Epic cameras for 3D production. Not one camera, not five, 30 of them, mm-hmm. which a uh, total cost of more than $2 million uh, is a serious commitment. And so, you mentioned that um, um, this will be filmed filmed in 3D then. It will be filmed in 3D, probably not using the same system as was used for Avatar, mm. but it will be filmed in 3D, and it, we have a lot to talk about, but... The time is flying, and we have a theme today. And we have a theme today. And that theme is trees, and there is a reason for (laughs) that tree theme. Yes, because uh, we are privileged to broadcast the show here from the campus of UC Irvine, and um, it is a wonderful place with our own Middle Earth campus, and UCI was just recently, in fact, they had the ceremony Friday, November 19th. It was recognized by the by Tree Campus USA and designated as a tree campus. And this is a wonderful um, program that is funded by Toyota and administered by the Arbor Day Foundation. They had a noon uh, ceremony, then planted 50 new trees in Aldrich Park, and um, I just love this because one of the things I absolutely love about UCI is the campus here. You can wander around the campus and just be enchanted by looking at the landscape and the trees. And I love that it's not just a lot of uh, buildings. It is a it is a kind of a sprawling, beautiful, beautiful campus with lots of big trees. And um, UCI is just one of uh, 74 campuses nationwide to win the A-Tree Campus designation. And in case some people aren't familiar, some of the UCI forest facts are that there are 24,000 trees campus-wide here at UCI. That's a lot, 24,000. The tallest tree is a eucalyptus grandis, which many of us are familiar with, the, the beautiful eucalyptus trees that we have so many of here in the South, in Southern California, 120 feet tall. Probably not quite as tall as the Malorns in Lothlorien, but still quite tall. The oldest tree here is 100 years, and there are 53 varieties of tree just in Aldrich Park which is, I, I believe, considered a, a botanical garden at the center of the campus, which is 16 acres. My gosh, it's um, a beautiful, beautiful campus. Yes. Campus, beautiful campus. And so why do I, sh- you know, why is this a special thing uh, to us? Um, because for me, I am a tree lover. Um, I have trees that I go and visit, tree spirits that just heal my soul and I love that J.R.R. Tolkien had a very, very special love of trees, and it is woven throughout many of his works. And, of course, you know, my dear Hobbit friend, that I love to challenge 
our friends and listeners to think about their lives, to, for us all to be mindful about what we do, not just do the things we do because we've all always done them. So, you know, you and I have had adventures with regards to turkey. Uh, I had another adventure last week and on did Thanksgiving. Did you have turkey? Again, no turkey. And again, I felt wonderful and had, let me assure you, Elf Princess, as you know me visually, plenty to eat. Well, it was interesting because I went um, to a lovely uh, Thanksgiving dinner and I brought a butternut squash and the butternut squash got quite gobbled up, (laughs) even amidst all of the other things. And I too had plenty to eat, didn't overeat as we elves generally don't too much, but I had plenty to eat, was well satisfied and still had energy to uh, play Pictionary with the kids after um, dinner was over rather than taking a nap from all the tryptophan in the that's, turkey. That's right, right. Turkey has a chemical called yes. tryptophan, which encourages one to doze off. So, if people would like to think about continuing that trend and start a new tradition for Christmas, um, usually at Christmas, a lot of times Christmas is either turkey or ham. Um, I was on the website today of the Arbor Day Foundation, and I discovered that there are some wonderful things there. For the cost of a membership for the Arbor Day Foundation, you can be supporting something that um, is very much supportive of trees and reforesting. And with your membership, which is less than the cost of a ham, in fact, you could buy two butternut squash at a fourth of the price of a ham and purchase your Arbor Day Foundation, and with that, you would be able to send 10 trees, it's part of your membership, 10 trees to someone you love, or you can have them sent to yourself and plant them in your yard. They also have a wonderful card uh, thing where you could purchase a, a beautiful card for someone, and the person gets a card, and a tree will be planted in honor of that person. So these are some alternative things to do, rather than going out and spending 20 or $30 on sweaters and things and you know stuff that people may not like or may not get any use out of for just a very little bit and not having to go into a lot of credit card debt you can uh, honor someone by planting a tree somewhere contributing to clean air contributing to the beauty of our planet and um, so there's information about that right on the website it's the I believe it's the Arbor it's A-R- called arborday.org that's a-r-b-o-r-d-a-y dot o-r-g that's and that's the Arbor Day that's Foundation that's the Arbor right? Day Foundation okay so so with that we have some wonderful things to share about the professor's love of trees do we not or is there oh, something oh yes about- before that however I'd like to play a little section of music Ooh. Wonderful. From the archives that were included with Doug Adams' book on the music of The Lord of the Rings, yes. there's an archive CD cleverly bound into the rear spine yes. of the rear cover of the book, and it has just many wonderful things. We're going to listen to track 12, The Eaves of Fangorn. So it will be, it be the first part of it. And can I just make a little dedication? I would like to dedicate this song to my friends on Tolkien Online who are such lovers of J.R.R. Tolkien. And I, I'm not sure if any of the, if many of them are familiar or know of this new music that has now just become available to so many of us who love the music that Howard Shore composed for The Lord of the Rings. Well, let's share a bit of this music with them. Wonderful. Thank you. That is wonderful music. And it takes me right back to the movie. Of course, in my mind's eye, I can see Aragorn, Legolas, Gimli running across the landscape. They're looking, you know, in search of the hobbits. And, of course, we see Aragorn looks down and sees the uh, elven brooch that Pippin has cast down. And he picks it up and says, not idly do the leaves of Lorien fall. And, of course, uh, they're right on the edge Eves of Fangorn. Wonderful. Well, I have a reading from my favorite book, The Hobbit. Mm-hmm. Since I am a hobbit, you might not be surprised at that. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> this is the chapter Flies and Spiders. Uh-huh. And they're going through the forest because Bomber has had a problem. He he misused the boat and basically goes into a coma. He's asleep and they have to carry him. And this is from The Hobbit by J.R.R. Tolkien, the chapter Flies and Spiders, as they're walking through the forest. Uh-huh. Two days later, they found their path going downwards, and before long they were in a valley filled almost entirely with a mighty growth of oaks. "'Is there no end to this accursed forest?' said Thorin. "'Somebody must climb a tree and see if he can get his head above the roof and have a look around. The only way to do that is to choose the tallest tree that overhangs the path. Of course, somebody meant Bilbo. They chose him because, to be of any use, the climber must get his head above the topmost leaves, and so he must be light enough for the highest and slenderest branches to bear him. Poor Mr. Baggins had never had much practice in climbing trees. But they hoisted him up into the lowest branches of an enormous oak that grew right out into the path, and up he had to go as best he could. He pushed his way through the tangled twigs with many a slap in the eye. He was greened and grimed from the old bark of the greater boughs. More than once he slipped and caught himself just in time, and at last, after a dreadful struggle in a difficult place where there seemed to be no convenient branches at all, he got near the top. All the time he was wondering whether there were spiders in the tree and how he was going to get down again, except by falling. In the end, he poked his head above the roof of leaves, and then he found spiders all right, but they were only small ones of ordinary size, and they were after the butterflies. Bilbo's eyes were nearly blinded by the light. He could hear the dwarves shouting up at him from far below, but he could not answer, only hold on and blink. The sun was shining brilliantly, and it was a long while before he could bear it. When he could, he saw all around him a sea of dark green, ruffled here and there by the breeze, and there were everywhere hundreds of butterflies. I expect they were a kind of purple emperor, a butterfly that loves the tops of oak woods. But these were not purple at all. They were a dark, dark velvety black without any markings to be seen. He looked at the black emperors for a long time and enjoyed the feel of the breeze in his hair and on his face. But at length the cries of the dwarves, who were now simply stamping with impatience down below, reminded him of his real business. It was no good. Gaze as much as he might, he could see no end to the trees and the leaves in any direction. His heart, that had been lightened by the sight of the sun and the feel of the wind, sank back down into his toes. There was no food to go back down to below. Actually, as I have told you, they were not far off the edge of the forest, and if Bilbo had had the sense to see it, the tree that he had climbed, though it was tall in itself, was standing near the bottom of a wide valley, so that from its top the trees seemed to swell up all round him like the edges of a great bowl, and he could not expect to see how far the forest lasted. He got to the bottom again at last, scratched, hot, miserable, and he could not see anything in the gloom below when he got there. His report soon made the others as miserable as he was. The forest goes on forever and ever, and ever in all directions. Whatever shall we do? And what is the use of sending a hobbit, they cried, as if it was his fault. They did not care tuppence about the butterflies, and were only made more angry when he told them of the beautiful breeze, which they were too heavy to climb up and feel. (laughs) But later in Tolkien's Mm. work, we have a wonderful section from The Lord of the Rings itself, and notice the change in tone. Yes, and this is... So, and this is where we begin to see also where Tolkien weaves his mythology through The Hobbit and into The Lord of the Rings and harkens back to things of the Silmaril and of the Elder Days, even before the Silmarils were mm. made. So, right. And, and we're going so to get to that. So this is from what chapter? This is from the third part called The Return of the King. It's from the chapter The Steward and the King at the end of that chapter. And this is after all, all has, uh, the, the ring has been destroyed, all of these battles have been won. And, and the, the field of Cormalan where there was uh, that congratulations and, and wonderful celebration. So, and and on, on, a, on a certain day, Gandalf has kind of disappeared and uh, Aragorn finds him. Right. And this is their discourse, correct? That's right. Okay, thank you. And Gandalf said, 
This is your realm and the heart of the greater realm that shall be. The third age of the world is ended, and the new age is begun, and it is your task to order its beginning and to preserve what may be preserved. For though much has been saved, much must now pass away, and the power of the three rings also is ended, and all the lands that you see and those that lie round about them shall be dwellings of men. For the time comes of the dominion of men, and the elder kindred shall fade or depart. I know it well, dear friends, said Aragorn, but I would still have your counsel. Not for long now, said Gandalf. The third age was my age. I was the enemy of Sauron, and my work is finished. I shall go soon. The burden must lie now upon you and your kindred. But I shall die, said Aragorn, for I am a mortal man, and though being what I am, and of the race of the West unmingled, I shall have life far longer than other men, yet that is but a little while, and when those who are now in the wombs of women are born and have grown old, I too shall grow old. And who then shall govern Gondor and those who look to the city as to their queen, if my desire be not granted? The tree in the court of the fountain is still withered and barren. When shall I see a sign that it will ever be otherwise? Turn your face from the green world, and look where all seems barren and cold, said Gandalf. Then Aragorn turned, and there was a stony slope behind him running down from the skirts of the snow, and as he looked he was aware that alone there in the waste a growing thing stood. And he climbed to it, and saw that out of the very edge of the snow there sprang a sapling tree no more than three foot high. Already it had put forth young leaves, long and shapely, dark above and silver beneath, and upon its slender crown it bore one small cluster of flowers, whose white petals shone like sunlit snow. Then Aragorn cried, Yea, Utevienyes, I have found it, lo, here is the scion of the eldest of trees. But how comes it here? For it is not itself yet seven years old. And Gandalf coming looked at it and said, Verily this is a sapling of the line of Nimloth the fair, and that was a seedling of Galathilion, and that a fruit of Telperion of many names, eldest of trees. Who shall say how it comes here in the appointed hour? But this is an ancient hollow, and ere the kings failed or the tree withered in the court, a fruit must have been set here. For it is said that, though the fruit of the tree comes seldom to ripeness, yet the life within may then lie sleeping through many long years, and none can foretell the time at which it will awake. Remember this, for if ever a fruit ripens, it should be planted, lest the line die out of the world. Here it has lain hidden on the mountain, even as the race of Elendil lay hidden in the wastes of the north. Yet the line of Nimloth is older far than your line, King Elisar. Oh my, gosh. oh my gosh, older far. And in fact, we hear in Silmarillion that the line of trees is really old. <laughs> and it's amazing just how well, a person's passion for something can color all that they do. Uh, J.R. Tolkien loved trees and... Um, and I believe that's mentioned in the biography by oh, Humphrey absolutely. Carpenter. We, we will be hearing a little bit about that and of, of a work of his that a lot of people don't realize might be a little bit allegorical or autobiographical. Um, but I'd like to read. So here we have at the end of the story of the Lord of the Rings, the uh, sapling that comes from the one of the original trees in Valinor. And I'm going to read a little bit from the beginning of days that talks about the making of the trees. It says here, and this is in uh, of the beginning of days. And when Valinor was full wrought and the mansions of the Valar were established, in the midst of the plain beyond the mountains, they built their city Valmar of many bells. Before its western gate there was a green mound, a Zelohar, that is also named Corolare. And Yavanna hallowed it, and she sat there long upon the green grass, and sang a song of power, in which was set all her thought of things that grow in the earth. But Niana thought in silence, and watered the mound with tears. In that time the Valar were ga gathered together to hear the song of Yavanna, and they sat silent upon their thrones of council in the Mahaxanar, the ring of doom near to the golden gates of Valmar. And Yavanna Kemantari sang before them, and they watched. And as they watched, upon the mound there came forth two slender shoots, and silence was over all the world in that hour, 
nor was there any other sound save the chanting of Yavanna. Under her song the saplings grew and became fair and tall and came to flower, and thus there awoke in the world the two trees of Valinor. Of all things which Yavanna made, they have most renown, and about their fate all the tales of the elder days are woven." So a lot of times people think even that it's the Silmarillion that uh, is indeed the history of the elves and the backstory. And we see that uh, through the making of the Silmarils and Melkor stealing them and murdering Finway, the king of the elves, that the Noldor come back to Middle-earth to regain the Silmarils and to deal with Melkor. But they don't realize that the Silmarils actually came from the fruit of the two trees, which even predates the Silmarils. It says here, but the light that was spilled from the trees endured long, ere it was taken up into the airs or sank down into the earth. And the dews of Telperion and the rain that fell from Laurel and Varda hoarded in great vats like shining lakes that were to all the land of the Valar as wells of water and of light. Thus began the days of the bliss of Valinor, and thus began also the count of time. And so that is, and then, of course, later on, we see that the from the fruit of the two trees comes the making of the sun and the moon, which is in that chapter of the sun and moon. Um, it goes on to say, um, when at last the Valar learned the Valar learned that the Noldor had indeed passed out of Amman and were come back to Middle Earth, they arose and began to set forth in deeds those counsels which they had taken in thought for the redress of the evils of Melkor. Then Manwe bade Yavanna and Nina to put forth all their powers of growth and healing, and they put forth all their powers upon the trees. But the tears of Nina availed not to heal their mortal wounds, and for a long time Yavanna sang alone in the shadows. Yet even as hope failed and her song faltered, Telperion bore at last upon a leafless bough one great flower of silver, silver and Laurelin a single fruit of gold." And we find that those, and if you want to hear the rest of the story, you'll have to read of the sun and moon in the Silmarillion. What a what a great great reading! What great beautiful prose! Uh, it's my favorite book. <laughs> wow! And so this brings us to the wonderful authorized biography, and where we get the authorized the biography of J.R.R. Tolkien by Humphrey. Carpenter, who also was the collector and editor of the letters, but this is the biography of Tolkien by Humphrey Carpenter. And yes, and it's interesting um, that J.R. Tolkien did not like biography. He did not feel that it added uh, anything to, in fact, at the end of this um, book, there's um, a little, very small section, it's actually two pages, called The Tree, and it says um, here, Tolkien would have thought that these were uh, unanswerable questions because the questions were where did the source of his vision come from and what is the vision that strikes the minds it says he disapproved of biography as an aid to literary appreciation and perhaps he was right his real biography is the hobbit the lord of the rings and the Silmarillion, for the truth about him lies within their pages but at least he might allow an epitaph and it goes on to say how um his Requiem Mass, which was held in Oxford, uh, there, were n- there was not really any mention of uh, quotation from his writings. However, a few weeks after the service, um, a memorial service was held in California, and um, Leaf by Niggle was read in that memorial service. And speaking of which, <clears throat> so we see here... Um, when he was uh, resuming writing after, you know, he had several stops and starts in The Lord of the Rings, it says, When work resumed, Tolkien drew up outlines for the end of the story, which he did not imagine was more than a few chapters away, and began to sketch the episode where two of the hobbits encounter Treebeard, the being who was the ultimate expression of Tolkien's love and respect for trees. When eventually he came to write this chapter, he modeled Treebeard's way of speaking, Hroom, hroom, on the booming voice of C.S. Lewis. So we'll hear something in just a moment about that. But this, to me, um, there's this one little part here about a tree that uh, J.R. Tolkien saved that we see was such an inspiration and such a beautiful, beautiful story. It says here, and this is in the chapter of The New Hobbit, One day at about this time, Lady Agnew, who lived opposite in Northmore Road, told him that she was nervous about a large poplar tree in the road. She said that it cut off the sun from her garden, and she feared for her house if it fell in a gale. 
Tolkien thought that this was ridiculous. Quote, any wind that could have uprooted it and hurled it on her house, he said, would have demolished her and her house without any assistance from the tree. But the poplar had already been lopped and mutilated, and though he managed to save it now, Tolkien began to think about it. He was, after all, quote, anxious about my own internal tree, his mythology, and there seemed to be some analogy. One morning, he woke up with a short story in his head and scribbled it down. It was the tale of a painter named Niggle, a man who, like Tolkien, niggled over details. Quote, he used to spend a long time on a single leaf, trying to catch its shape and its sheen and the glistening of dewdrops on its edges. Yet he wanted to paint a huge tree. There was one picture in particular which bothered him. It had begun with a leaf caught in the wind, and it became a tree, and the tree grew, sending out innumerable branches and thrusting out the most fantastic roots. Strange birds came and settled on the twigs and had to be attended to. Then all round the tree and behind it, through the gaps in the leaves and boughs, a country began to open out. End quote. In the story, which he called Leaf by Niggle, Tolkien expressed his worst fears for his mythological tree. Like Niggle, he sensed that he would be snatched away from his work long before it was finished, if indeed it ever could be finished in this world. For it is in another and brighter place that Niggle finds his tree finished and learns that it is, is indeed a real tree, a true part of creation. And I think this is one point at which I would like to say a very special thank you to Christopher Tolkien. Because were it not for him, all of the notes and writings and pocketbooks and things that became not only the Silmarillion, the history of Middle-earth, the lost tales, would have been essentially lost to all of us, you know, the, the many readers who have now enjoyed them because of Christopher Tolkien's work over all these many decades. My gosh, yes. Father's work. Thank heavens for him. Without him, I don't know if it would have been totally lost, but I think it would have taken many, many long years. But who else would have been able to arrange it? And mm. according to, I mean, I think Christopher was closest to his father in right. understanding what his father would have wanted. Right, right. And I no mean, one if else, editors had gotten a hold of it, oh my God. No one else could have done as good a job, I'm convinced of that. Mm. And no one could have done as speedy a job either. So we have both the issue of quality as well as the issue of timing. Mm -hmm. And my gosh, how much wonderful stuff. So we have a little excerpt that we're going to play, are we not, from the professor? Oh my gosh. Let me just say this this one part one again. It says, when eventually he came to write this chapter on um, uh, Treebeard, he modeled Treebeard's way of speaking, room, room, on the booming voice of his friend C.S. Lewis. So what are we going to hear, my dear Hobbit? Well, we're going to hear from the J.R.R. Tolkien audio collection, which you'll recall has things read by both J.R.R. Tolkien and his son Christopher. Tolkien, in this collection of CDs, reads from The Hobbit, The Fellowship of the Ring, The Two Towers, The Return of the King, and The Adventures of Tom Bombadil. And Christopher Tolkien reads from The Silmarillion, Three sections, Baron and Luthien, of the Darkening of Valinor, and of the Flight of the Noldor. But today, mm -hmm. we're going to hear a section read by J.R.R. Tolkien. It's from CD number two. And by the way, we should, for the record, say this is ISBN number 0-694-52570-7. As a <laughs> hobbit, I like these little things well organized yes, and well that. noted. Yes. CD number two... We're reading from The Two Towers, book number three, and we're reading Treebeard. We're having the, the professor is going to be reading from Treebeard, The Long List of the Ents. And pay special attention close to the end. Here we go. Here we go. KCI in Irvine. This is What Would Arwen Do? An ent said, Mary, what's that? And what do you call yourself? What's your real name? Oh, now, replied Tearbeard, oh, now, that would be telling. Not so hasty. But I am doing the asking. You are in my country. What are you, I wonder? I cannot place you. You do not seem to come in the old list that I learned when I was young. But that was long, long time ago. And they may have made new lists. Let me see, let me see, how did it go? Learn now the law of living creatures. First name the four, the three peoples. Eldest of all, the elf children. Dwarf the delver, darker his houses. 
Empty earth born, old as mountains, man the mortal, master of horses. Mm. <clears throat> Beaver the builder, buck the leaper, bear be hunter, boar the fighter, hound is hungry, hare is fearful. Mm -hmm. mm, yes, eagle in eerie, ox in pasture, heart horn crowned, hawk is swiftest, swan the whitest, certain coldest. <clears throat> How'd you go? Room, tum, room, tum, room, tit, tum, tum. It was a long list. But anyway, you do not seem to fit in anywhere. <laughs> oh my gosh, is that delightful or um, what? You do not seem to fit in he anywhere. You find mention of the hobbits in his long, the long list of the imps of all the creatures. And that was interesting because Treebeard was a, a very, very long-lived person. Yes, and it's interesting because in case people are interested in a little more backstory of that, you can find also in the Silmarillion, in the chapter of Iuli and Yavanna, because Yavanna is concerned for the coming of um, elves and men in the sense that they will have dominion over all of her, all of her works. And Ayuli says yes, and she goes to Manway and says, "Could this be? Could this be true? Could this? Could it be that they would have dominion over my uh, my works?" And uh, Manway says yes, but <clears throat> there is mention, even in that, of the um, the for a foretelling of the ends of uh, those that will walk. It says here. Um, but Manway rose also, and it seemed that he stood to such a height that his voice came down to Yavanna as from the paths of the winds. Nay, he said, only the trees of Iuli will be tall enough. That was for the eagles. In the mountains the eagles shall house, and hear the voices of those that call upon us. But in the forests shall walk the shepherds of the trees. Right. So we hear, even way back in the early Summerillion, of the foretelling of the shepherds of the trees. Absolutely. And you know, there are many wonderful resources online. I like the, the wiki for Lord of the Rings, the one wiki to rule them all. It's at <laughs> lotr com slash wiki slash forest is the particular article that I saw there. Uh, forests and their significance to the children of Iluvatar. And it recounts the history of the First Age, Second Age, Third Age, and Fourth Age, and talks about uh, forests and woods, as with all growing things originated with Yavanna, who planted their first seeds and were under her direct care, until the evil of Melkor ruined and destroyed much of them long before the awakening of the elves. Mm. And I thought of that, and I regret to inform you, Elf Princess, there are so many greedy men on Earth, and they are really killing too many of our trees on our fair earth called Arda. But there is still hope. But there is still hope. There There's is still always hope. hope. There is always hope. <clears throat> in the second age, the vast primordial forests in Ariador stood until the middle of the age when the Numenorians began cutting them down to build their fleets and fuel their desire for empire and dominion. And... And we here are, and here we are, on the campus of UC Irvine, broadcasting from KUCI, Irvine. And it's such a beautiful and, area with those 70,000 trees. to be here in Southern California, which is pretty close to paradise. And so very grateful and very grateful um, that UCI is, in fact, a tree campus. And we have those beautiful sites, and it contributes to all the clean air all around. And the trees are happy and well cared for. And um, that is that is a very good thing. And I hope it's all right. I would like to invite our listeners, if they are free for the next hour, to hang around, because normally we would be having the Blue and Gold Report coming up after this. Which is a UCI sports report. Very interesting. Right. But today... Today, it's going to be a little different show, because the... Uh, Blue and Gold Report is taking a little break for uh, till the end of the quarter. It'll be resuming in January. And I'm going to be hanging around, and we'll be doing a version of Phenomenal Woman. Oh, goody. Yeah. Wonderful. So we'll Excellent. be hearing some elven music and some, some, some fun things coming up at 5 o'clock. And... All of that to say also that we have we have two more weeks uh, before Christmas that we will be having to for you know kind of our uh, Christmas shows and uh, at least one of those shows we hope to expand to a two hour 
format, maybe even both. It'll be it'll be wonderful. We have December 7th and December 14th. Yes. On December 21st, our time slot is preempted due to a wonderful basketball game here at UCI. So we'll, we will enjoy, be enjoying other types of holiday festivities on that day. Right. But today, speaking of holidays, we should give a shout out to our Jewish friends who begin yes. celebrating Hanukkah on Thursday. And yes, a very special. But speaking of forests, today is November 30th, 2010. It's a special day. Many of our listeners have heard of the Ozark Mountains and Missouri. I used to live there. And there, there is located the Mark Twain National Forests. There are many beautiful national forests. They may be dwindling in size, but they're very beautiful. Mm. We don't have any forests as great as the Siberian forest in Russia which you can literally, according to one writer, you can ride in a train for 50 hours and still be in the same forest. But we do have the Mark Twain National Forest in the Ozark Plateau uh, among the United States' oldest mountains. And why do we mention that? Today is the 175th birthday of Mark Twain, Mm -hmm. whose real name was Samuel Langhorne Clemens, but he wrote under pen name Mark Twain, and the wonderful author of great books like Huckleberry Finn, Innocence Abroad. Oh, my gosh. And such a wonderful uh, contributor to those things that we love, great literature and, you know, imagination and adventure. And, know, and Lots of adventure. There's <laughs> lots of adventure. We will be having Adventure Report next week, probably about Harry Potter, but Dear Elf Princess. Oh, yes. You're and Narnia is to... coming up in next month, the next oh Voyage gosh, of the Dawn yes. Treader. I need to read that before. A, uh, yes, yes, lots of good things coming I've up. read it several times. I need to read Voyage of the Dawn Treader again to see how much they've actually retained in the movie. Yes. But that movie is coming up. But something else coming up is the 5 o'clock hour. And so our time here has drawn to a close, Elf Princess. Well, it has been wonderful, and we will be back next week. And I say to you, my friend, Alem Salalomen Amentielva, a star shines on the hour of our greeting always. And to all of our friends who have been listening, a very special greeting, and thank you for being here with us. And if you'd like to email us, we would love to hear from you. You can email us at askanelf, A-S-K-A-N-E-L-F, at yahoo.com. And uh, we'll be right back here on KUCI in Irvine next week, 4 o'clock. The greatest radio station in the history of Middle Earth. Absolutely. Have a great week, Elf Princess. Aya. De Maria.